Hello, welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined, as always, by Jessica Sharo. What's going on? Joe Wolfon. What up? Uh, NBA free agency has died down a little bit. Most of the major free agents have made the decisions. Uh, it's looking like the restricted free agents are going to be squeezed out in this market, um, sort of as people anticipated, just because there's no cap room left pretty much anywhere. Um, but uh, let's start at the top. I mean, the last time we talked was um, July 1, the evening of after LeBron decided to uh, announce his decision to sign with the Lakers. Since then, the Lakers have made some very curious moves um, to surround LeBron uh, with talent, quote-unquote. Um, LeBron said he wanted to play with cerebral players. He said that repeatedly throughout the playoffs. And now he's playing with Lance Stevenson, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, um, JaVale McGee, and Rajon Rondo. I guess Rondo is a cerebral player, um, but the first three, I mean... What are the Lakers doing? Wolfon, you wrote a piece about this. Um, can you please try to explain what the Lakers are doing with this supporting cast around LeBron? Um, well, shortly after I wrote that piece, uh, Brian Windhorst and Ramona Shelburne had a, a piece that they reported on using sources that were close to both the Lakers and LeBron to basically try and answer that question. And what they found, at least what the spin was coming from the Lakers camp, was that this was not... A miscalculation or an accident this was part of some very calculated visionary plan that they had laid out with LeBron in their free agent meeting to surround him with a very different kind of supporting cast than the one he had in Cleveland very and, different but also very the same it's, well it's like having three no. J.R. Smiths instead of one <laughs> I mean the same the same in some ways but definitely different in that he they're trying to take the ball out of his hands a little bit more they want him to play out of the post more um, and they want him surrounded by playmakers, not so much with just guys who are spot-up shooters, which is good, I guess, in theory. It's nice that they're trying to do something different, that they're looking at that Cleveland supporting cast and realizing that something wasn't working there. LeBron was overextended. He had to uh, spend a little bit too much time as a primary creator, mm -hmm. and he does operate really well out of the post, but he's not going to be effective operating out of the post if he's not surrounded by shooters, if the spacing isn't there and defenses are doubling and triple teaming him with abandon, not worried because Lance Stevenson can't hit an open three and Rajon Rondo can't hit an open three. Like, Rajon Rondo is a great entry passer, so there's a benefit to that. But at the same time, like, considering the paucity of talent that was on that Cavs roster, the fact that they made the finals with that roster should be instructive because that was not a talented roster, but it was in a way, like, kind of well-engineered um, just considering like the, the lack of talent on hand, right? Because those guys could still hit open threes um, and they could do enough to just make it work around LeBron's singular talent. And I just, they're in the Western Conference now. Like, I just don't know if they're going to be able to pull this off. Obviously, the offseason's not done yet. There is a lot that they can still do. But to me, first of all, like, they're clearly going all in on these one-year contracts, right? They, they yeah. want to roll over their cap space of 2019 so that if they don't end up trading for Kawhi, they can sign him as a free agent, which he's been very, I won't say explicit because he hasn't really said anything, but his team has been very explicit in what they've said to the media uh, about the fact that he wants to be a Laker so they can sign him outright next offseason. They can go after Kevin Durant, potentially, Clay Thompson, Kemba Walker, Jimmy Butler, going to be you know another big kind of lucrative free agent class so they're rolling that cap space over with these one-year deals but a lot of players are signing one-year deals and there are guys out there who would be better fits who are better players who are also signing one-year deals that would be in, in my opinion way better bang for their buck and they could be putting I think a way better team around LeBron than they currently are yeah look I I think Joe made a good point when he said spin uh, and I think the the Shelburne and Windhorst report, I think is a lot of it is spin from the Lakers part, and maybe even from LeBron's camp as well, right? Not wanting to start off the relationship with the Lakers being like, oh, LeBron hates these moves. They're obviously not going to say that. Mm -hmm. But look, it makes sense that as LeBron gets older, he'll operate out of the post more and, and maybe be more of a playmaker than he already is. That's fine. That's understandable. But you still need shooters and at the very least like cutters like smart cutters you know right. around him if he's going to be operating out of the post and you go down this lakers roster including the guys they've added and it's like who's a dependable shooter not lonzo kcp 
had a decent shooting year, but he's a bit of a streaky shooter. Honestly, um, whenever I think of KCP shooting, I think about that Kobe game. Kobe getting up Kobe and leaving. Would, yo, yes, after, him hitting that wild air ball, and then Kobe's yes. just like, no, nah, I'm taking my family home. Exactly. So it's like Lonzo at the one, KCP at the two. Obviously, LeBron's there. Yeah. And then Ingram, who I think a lot of people are high on with good reason. Yeah. But again, I don't know if you were calling uh, Brandon Ingram a dependable shooter at this point. Underrated right. cutter. Then you've got JaVale. You've got Rondo. Like, they've got Lance now who, yeah, he can be a playmaker, but if he's not doing anything else for you, like taking the ball out of LeBron's hands or having him operate out of the post, again, you still need to surround him with shooters and cutters, and the mm-hmm. Lakers have barely any of those guys. So it's very easy to say this is the ideal older version of LeBron that we envision right. um, as a Laker, but if you don't surround him with the talent that'll like allow him to be his best in that position, then what's the point? And, and right now, yeah, and like Joe mentioned, the Cavs team that he dragged to the finals this past year, well, A, they were much better shooting, and B, they were in the East, right? So unless yeah. you're moving this Lakers team to the East or you're going to start signing shooters on, like, one-year deals, that's the other thing, too. Fine, you want to stick to one-year deals, but is this really the best you could have done? Yeah. I, it's just puzzling, and I don't believe for a second that LeBron is, like, fully on board with all of these moves, other than maybe Rondo, who, yeah, he's a cerebral player, but people forget... Playoff Rondo is one thing. October to April Rondo, the last few years, has not been an above-average NBA player. Yeah, and the Rondo thing is especially confusing because it really does create a redundancy at point guard because they've gotten pretty much... Obviously, Lonzo can grow and expand his game, but as, as of right now, he's basically uh, Rondo Ball, right? Like, he's that's basically him, so... Nice. What are you like? What are you doing? Creating sort of a controversy there. I think they're trying to show Lonzo a little bit of tough love by saying, "Hey, look, we gave you the franchise for the first year. Um, you did decently well." Like I think people really sleep on how like impactful Rondo or Rondo. There you go. Um, Lonzo was in his first year, but I mean, at the end of the day, he wasn't like this transcendent star that everyone said he was going to be. Um, you could see him maybe becoming an all star, but right now he's not that. And then in year two, you're bringing in um, Rondo. You know, there's reports coming out of the camp already that the Lakers are not happy with the fact that Lonzo's camp leaked his injury to prevent a trade. And honestly, you know, <laughs> I know Lakers fans really like Lonzo and for good reason, but the way it's shaping up, if you bring in a guy who is exactly like Rondo, or sorry, who's exactly like Lonzo, like you might want to trade Lonzo, right? And that, that could be... If you really read in between the lines, like he's probably on the trading block. Um, he might not be here in the long term. And if he does stay, then the cult of personalities around this Lakers team, like LeBron's faction, Magic's a really outspoken guy. Then you have the Lonzo, um, LeVar angle, and then even the rest of these guys. Like, I don't think Lance Stevens is going to take, you know, basically take a back backseat to anybody. I don't think Rondo um, is going to like coming off the bench. He's already said that he's expecting to compete for the starting job like you could kind of see this going shaky to start and it's kind of self-imposed like they didn't need to do any of this yeah i think and it's not necessarily a fair way to measure him but i think we'll find out very quickly how good of a people manager luke walton is because you know you look at obviously he got off to that great start with the warriors when he filled in for steve kerr but still that was still steve kerr's team and it was a team that yeah you know was already a champion and, and there was a built-in culture right, there too exactly right? he didn't have to come in and like put his fingerprints all over that team like the, the imprint of that team had already basically been formed and now it's like he's got all these personalities who basically haven't shared a locker room together and he's got to figure it all out, right? Like, it's a potentially volatile situation. Right. He, like, th- last year, you know, it, like, Luke Walton was instilling his own culture, mm-hmm. bringing something from a championship culture in Golden State to a young nucleus of yeah. Lakers players, right? And now he is kind of, like, has this in-between roster where you've still got those young guys, like, the holdovers, but then you've got LeBron, who's obviously a force unto himself, and then you've right. got these, like, Rajon Rondo, um... I don't want to go as far as to say uncoachable, but notoriously, yeah. you know, hard to coach. You look at even his kind of his headbutts with Rick Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Like, and Doc Rivers. And Doc Rivers. And then Lance Stevenson is Lance Stevenson. Just say no more. Like, it's going to be a very tough situation for Luke Walton, yeah. who is still a young coach, to manage. And I think the key will be what are the expectations. Right. And, like, who's calling the shots, right? Like, if LeBron wants to have the same level of control in Cleveland, which he might not necessarily want, right? In Cleveland, like, LeBron had 
control of everything. And Cleveland basically had to cater to every single one of his needs. But now LeBron's joined the Lakers, and no one really runs the Lakers like that. Like, even when Kobe was around, they showed Kobe a lot of respect, giving him that huge deal after his Achilles injury and everything. But, you know, nobody really runs the Lakers in that way. It's not a player-driven like organization. It's like... It, we're the Lakers, right? You have to respect the institution. I think LeBron joining that also means he's surrendering a little bit of power. But, I mean, how long does it take until LeBron, like, you know, maybe he quarrels with the head coach? You know, mm. like, when I, has LeBron really gone maybe. along with a head coach who isn't a complete pushover or, like, has someone won his respect like Eric Spolstra? Like, you know, LeBron has not really – he's not hard to coach. He's just – he has his own ideas, obviously, and he's a very clever player. And I don't know what the relationship between him and – um, you know, Luke Walton is. Uh, I'm not even sure how much the actual management group currently likes Luke Walton. I mean, they backed him this year when LeVar kind of talked about him. But, I mean, that was an easy fight to pick because you don't want to, like, just be a pushover immediately. But, I mean, Magic and Polinka, they inherited Luke Walton from the previous organized, uh, like previous regime. And, I don't know. I could just see, like, a lot of drama happening in L.A. immediately. And, again, none of it needed to be like created like they could have just gotten more sensible pieces around lebron so yeah i mean to lebron's i guess credit you could say like he already in a way has ceded some of that control by signing a three-year deal right and the way that he kept signing those one plus ones in cleveland uh stripped that team i think of any kind of long-term planning power that they might have otherwise had so in that sense, like just knowing that they have him under contract for at least three years is maybe going to help them maneuver a little bit with more of a long view. But um, again, like you even heard some of the Lakers players last season talking about how hard it was to play for that team and play in an environment when basically the the franchise was openly planning for free agency in 2018. And they were yeah. all basically seen as trade chips or they were all basically seen as being expendable. Because what the team really had eyes for was landing its next franchise player in free agency. And that's basically going to be the same situation for all of those guys right now. Like, the way that they're building this roster is, you know, LeBron is the one guy that matters. Getting Kawhi maybe is, you know, like the next domino to fall. And they're signing all these one-year deals. So all those guys who they're bringing in know that they're expendable and probably going to be gone next year. Mm Mm-hmm the younger pieces that they have are basically looked at as trade chips more than they are as foundational building blocks. And I just feel like that creates this sort of culture of uncertainty and like, you know, what what kind of impetus do you have to uh, give everything to a franchise that is basically treating you as an expendable piece or just like a means to an end that doesn't really include you in the future, right? Like I think um, they've been dealing with that for a long time and that's that's the way that they've been trying to build their team for Ever, pretty much. Yeah, that's the Lakers way. Right. And, uh, you know, in in the last few years, we've seen basically an unprecedented dip in Lakers stock because they haven't been able to land those free agents. And what are you they, talking about? They got Moskov. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Two minutes after midnight yeah. that year. They got, they got Luol Deng. Uh, sure. Look how well that's worked out. But, uh. you know, they, they haven't built a culture from the ground up. Mm. You know, it's always with an eye to basically landing the next star free agent. And, I mean, Byron Scott, when he was coaching there, like, he, he was asked if he thought that the next great Lakers player was on the roster already. And he came out and said, no, like, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping the next great Lakers player is, you know, going to come to the team in free agency. Like, everybody knows that this is how they operate. And there's a downside to that. And I feel like they're experiencing it a little bit. And, look, it's not crazy to, first of all, like, all the reports are the Spurs asking price for Kawhi is insane. Yeah, it's so I think they're right at least for now to sit on their assets and not jump at that deal. Um, and it's not the craziest thing in the world to say let's give these kids another year to play and develop and see what we have here. Let LeBron settle in and feel this situation out, and then see where to go from here. But at the same time, like they're they're basically punting a year of title contention by doing that. Yeah, and. And LeBron's doing that. He's 34. Right. LeBron's get, Le, LeBron's turning 34 this year. Yeah. He has played more total NBA minutes, regular season and playoffs, than all but nine players in history. Yeah. So to squander a year of his prime is kind of unforgivable to me. 
And I, I think you just have to try and you, you have to do better than this. Yeah. Like this isn't getting it done. That's why I'm like so skeptical when you hear these reports that LeBron is kind of okay with what's going on because yeah. he's taking the long view um, with this team and he knows that it's about next summer and bringing another star and that he's fine with what they've done this summer. Because again, like you can set yourself up for next summer by signing one-year deals um, and short deals and kind of signing like maybe specialist type playmakers yeah. and shooters, whatever you want. And it didn't have to be these specific guys. Yeah. And that's why I just, again, I just refuse to believe that LeBron's totally okay with this because like Wolf on just mentioned, they, you know, only delusional like Lakers chain grabbing guy gif type <laughs> Lakers fans are going to believe that this team is a championship contender. They're not. They are not, like as presently constructed, they mm. are not nearly good enough. And, Consider like what I'm saying. I'm saying this team with LeBron freaking James is not nearly good enough to compete for a championship. Sorry, to even compete for a conference championship because the yeah. Warriors are there. They're still not as good as the Rockets. You can make the argument they're still not as good as the Jazz or maybe the Thunder. Like this, yeah. like the supporting mm-hmm. cast around LeBron has a lot of question marks. So I'm curious to know what are the internal expectations um, from the Lake within the Lakers organization, right? Right. Do they do they also see this as kind of like we've punted on a year of contention and we're gonna go big next summer and in the meantime let's just try to get back to the playoffs and like hope these kids get some valuable spring basketball minutes? Or Magic Johnson, who let's be honest, he's a little delusional when it comes to like his own Lakers fandom, let alone his, you know, role as president. Does he believe this team should be like a conference finalist and pushing the Warriors? That, because those are very different things. Right. And that'll go a long way in determining, you know, how they view Luke Walton. Don't forget, in Miami, you mentioned Eric Spolstra earning LeBron's respect. That came after Pat Riley basically stepped in. Yeah. Remember with the whole LeBron bumping Spolstra incident and Riley reportedly stepping in and being like, look, this guy is going to be your coach, yeah. whether you like it or not. You know, are Jeannie Buss and Magic Johnson and Rob Plinka going to do the same thing for Luke Walton if the Lakers get off to like a 13-12 and 12 start? That is completely reasonable but maybe not within their expectations um one thing i found really interesting was that there was also a report that lebron is not immediately putting pressure on the lakers to get a second star which kind of goes along with him approving of this sort of um entire uh you know rebuilding plans so to speak um Honestly, it kind of sounds like LeBron's not as interested in competing. And I'm not questioning his compete level. I'm just saying that, like, he's it's not the same, like, I got to go all in right now for, for titles and this and that. First off, I mean, he, if he really wanted to go for a title, he probably would have signed in Philly or, or Houston. like Or Golden was, State. Or Golden State. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, oh my God. Yeah, well, at that point, yes, definitely cancel the NBA. But, I mean, you know, like, LeBron has already sort of chose sort of a, a less competitive uh, team to go to and now that team is acting even more um patiently which is kind of strange uh I- i'm sort of curious what the long-term plan is they're kind of acting like they have another star coming guaranteed in 2019 and there's a couple of stars in the 2019 draft or free agency class for sure and maybe they get Kawhi in a trade mid-season but um in the meantime though mellow <laughs> okay you you talk about like adding to this roster of misfits that Mello. Magic Johnson has put together. Mello would fit perfectly from that perspective. Um, look, I've said before that I think there's only two players in the NBA that I think could convince Mello to adapt to the role he's suited for at this point in his career, which is mostly a small ball, spot-up power forward who also carries bench units from time to time. And I think the only two players that can convince him to do that are LeBron James and maybe Chris Paul. So... Look, maybe if the Lakers do get mellow, we finally will see that Olympic mellow we've been waiting for for like five years in the NBA. I wouldn't hold your breath, but it's a possibility. But from a, just from like the optics of it, of this kind of like over the hill guy who doesn't really fit based on who he is now around LeBron James, mellow fits perfectly into this Lakers team. Yeah, and I I think so long as they aren't going to overextend him or overexpose him the way that the Thunder did last year, I think it could be a perfectly acceptable fit and he would at least stretch the floor more than most of the guys on the Lakers right now would. So I don't think that's, uh, I think that's pretty likely to happen. Like, you know, one of those two teams, uh, you know, reportedly it's like the Lakers, the Rockets and the Wizards who are in on him and you know the the Wizards are on a mission clearly to just assemble a team of like the most difficult personalities in the league we'll talk about the Wizards Um, but man I I mean are you guys surprised that they didn't that they didn't make a play for Boogie 
given that th- that they reportedly had a chance to sign him basically to the same deal that the Warriors ended up signing him to. Okay, so the excuse that they gave for Boogie or the reasoning, um, according to Mark Stein, was that they couldn't afford to wait all year for him for him to get healthy. Right. But like, which is re- the exact opposite of of what. The Lakers are apparently saying, like through yeah. the media right now, which is that they're taking a long view. LeBron's not pushing for a yeah. second star, and and they're being patient with this. So, like, I, I don't know. There's a lot of mixed signals being sent there. Apparently, could have had Boogie for the same price that the Warriors had Boogie. So that's the that's the crazy part. But um, yeah, I I think either the Lakers were never that interested in Boogie in the first place, or the Lakers are just sort of um, punting the year. And I, I don't know. I mean. It's it's weird. Why would you ponder year of LeBron's prime? Like, how many more years like does LeBron have at this peak level, right? Who knows? That's like, and that's the thing. There's right? no way of knowing. It's very easy to say, well, it's LeBron and he's indestructible, and that's just never the case. Like, you look at Kobe as a perfect example. Look, I'm never one to compare Kobe to LeBron because I think LeBron has so far exceeded Kobe Bryant. It's not even a wow. debate anymore. Tell that to Lakers fans. But no, but if you, talk about, hearing this forever, if you talk about like durability and that just like will to go on, Kobe, if you remember, even into his like mid-30s, people saw him like that and he had that insane year. I believe it was the 2012-13 season. For yeah. me, it was like my favorite Kobe season. He was old. Yeah. He was carrying that like um, high expectation but very flawed Lakers team with Dwight and those guys. He was carrying them to a playoff berth. And then he ruptures his Achilles on what, like game 78, 79 of the season, something yeah. like that. And it just came out of nowhere when the whole season was about him defying the expectations of age. Ruptures his Achilles. He's never the same after that, right? Never. And I'm not saying that's coming for LeBron, but you have to remember things like that in the old adage about father time being undefeated. Like, as durable and insane as LeBron James is, in his mid-30s, he really is just one of those injuries away from never being the same again. So, yeah, to, to punt a year... Of, of his contention because, you know, you got to surround him with guys like Lance Stevenson and JaVale McGee and Rajon Ronde. It, it, it's just baffling. It's just weird that they're approaching this with the strategy that they want to sign one-year deals and maintain their flexibility, but they could have had Boogie for one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a year in which you don't know what you're going to get for him. He might just be, you know, trying to rehabilitate his value, basically. But... You're going to get him back, presumably, like, December, January. Have him for half a season. And that's just, like, a, a high upside a high upside play that, you know, can potentially give you... Like, if, he, if he's coming back and being even 80% of what he was last year, like, a legitimate second star next to LeBron. And even if you're just doing it to prevent him from signing with the Warriors, I think it's worthwhile for a year and $5 million. I was going to say, I think the one thing maybe we're discounting here is that, you know, everyone kind of jumped on, I think it was like from last year or two years ago, some quote LeBron had where he called Boogie the best big in the league, and everyone's like, LeBron would be on board with getting Boogie. We don't actually know that. Yeah, he said that, yeah. but he didn't come out and say, I would love to play with this guy. And, you know, I, I love Boogie's game, mm-hmm. and I've usually been the kind of guy who thinks people kind of overvalue his off-court um temper tantrums whatever you want to call them but that perception is very real around the league and like that tension that he brings to a locker room is very real yeah and so i think that at least has to be considered that magic and and company and who knows maybe lebron and his brain trust as well maybe are weary of bringing that but they're not weary of bringing lance they're not weary of bringing rondo like yeah. These guys have similar reputations. So That's what not... I mean. It, none, none of it adds up. Yeah. But, I mean, I would say for the for the Lakers, though, like they did have to sit through what happened to Kobe with his Achilles. So maybe they have a little bit more hesitation there just because they've sort of gone through the recovery with a player like that. But, I mean, Kobe was also like in his late 30s. Right. Boogie's 27 years old. But also like twice his size, right? That's true. Um, speaking of Boogie, the Warriors get Boogie. The rich get richer. DeMarcus Cousins announcing, shocking the world. Um, only a day later, after LeBron goes to L.A., um, I'm a warrior. Great uh, great intro. Um, definitely not staged, for sure. Um, first off, are people overreacting a little bit to the fact that the Lake, or that uh, Boogie has now joined the Warriors? Because I think we can all agree that the Warriors are going to win the title again anyway, right? Right. Um, I definitely think there was a lot of overreaction. And to me, this is you know, at worst neutral as far as, you know, I like whether it's good or bad for the league. Like, I don't think it changes anything except like if you're a boogie fan, 
then now maybe the Warriors winning the title next year is a little bit more palatable because Boogie's going to get a ring. And I think it's a totally reasonable thing for him to do. Um, you know, in a year when his market completely collapsed, he has a chance to go out there and prove that he can be part of a winning culture and that he can play in any environment. Um, he's going to have a chance to rehabilitate his value and hit the market again next summer when there might be a, a more robust marketplace for centers. And he'll have done it presumably on the back of a championship run that will, you know, maybe exercise some demons and change the perception about him around the league the same way that it did for a guy like JaVale McGee or... I mean, I guess the jury is out on whether the perception of Nick Young has changed at all. But no, nah, no. Nah. Have um, you seen the quotes that have come out since he won the title? Yeah. No, no. Well, they're the same. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but it'll be in a sense, I think, vindicating for him, assuming that it goes the way we think it's going to go, yeah, and, that, yeah. and that he doesn't, you know, end up um, nuking uh, the locker room from within. Like I think um, it's going to be a really valuable experience for him to be a part of that team and a part of that culture. Um, I think that like he's got a lot to learn probably even from a guy like Draymond who has a similar temperament I think mm-hmm. um, you know they're both pretty fiery both a little quick tempered right. and I think it'll be important to him to see basically how that personality can function within in a, a team in a winning environment yeah. you know what I mean and, and channel it toward positive things and you know th- there's been lots of talk about how. Draymond has kind of pushed the Warriors to their wits end a lot of the time with um, with just his like nonstop intensity and the, the the way that he goes about holding his teammates accountable. I think that can wear on people. But uh, at the end of the day, those guys will all come out and say that he is a crucial part of what they do and they need that intensity in their locker room. And I think, you know, Boogie's going to come out of that experience probably a better leader, a better player. And, um, you know, from that side of things, I think this will be good. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily see this as changing the sure. outcome of next season at the end of the day. So. He's basically taking a year off to do, like, an internship, unpaid internship, essentially, right. to, like, try to raise his resume. And I, I don't think it's a bad idea, especially since the Warriors are going to have so much patience with him coming back from the Achilles injury. They don't need to push him whatsoever. And I think if he comes back early and looks bad, that would hurt his stock more than anything else. So if he can wait until, like, the All-Star break, really fully take his time, come back, um, I mean, obviously he's going to be playing with so many talented players, but also just show he's a good locker room fit. Like that's, it's it makes a lot of sense for Boogie, especially since there wasn't a lot of suitors for Boogie. It's not like Boogie turned down a max contract somewhere. You didn't have that. Look, there's there's going to be an insane amount of volatility in this locker room, right? Uh, between Draymond so? Green, Demarcus Cousins, Kevin Durant, and Steve Kerr. All there, like Steve Kerr is a great people manager and. He's done wonders, like, bringing this team together. But Steve Kerr is all, can also fly off the cuff sometimes. And, like... Um, You're talking about Boogie's going to punch Steve Kerr. I'm just saying that there's a Boogie lot Boogie is not a robot, There okay? is a lot of oh volatility in that locker room. Now, I don't think it's going to prevent the Warriors from winning a third straight championship. I'm just saying there is a lot of volatility there. The thing is, is it's still a no-brainer from their perspective. Because it's literally zero risk. Mm-hmm. If... Uh, if things don't work out and something happens and like Boogie doesn't fit, whatever the case may be, the Warriors can basically just like walk away from at some point this season. Yeah. If they really needed to, right? Yeah. And walk away from him and still be the heavy favorites to win the championship. Um, and from Boogie's perspective, you know, if things go well, he rebuilds his value while winning a championship, proving that he can kind of like be the guy he is while still fitting into a winning culture. Like it's a win win. And even you just think about it from a basketball perspective, like my God, the Warriors still have their death lineup, right? The yep. Steph, Clay, Draymond, KD, Iggy lineup. Yeah. And then now it's just like, well, if a team ever wants to try to punish them by going big, instead of rolling with like JaVale McGee or Kevon Looney, who they still have, or like Zaza Pachulia, now nah, they'll just bring in DeMarcus Cousins. Like that, it's unbelievable yeah. how foolproof yeah. this team is. And if they really, really wanted to, and really wanted to go like balls to the wall every night of the year, yeah, this team's going like seventy-seven and five. Now they won't because that's just not how it works. But if they really wanted to, yeah, yeah. they could put up crooked numbers like that. They, I mean, again, we don't know what Boogie's going to look like when he comes back. But in theory, you know, some teams stagger their stars' minutes. This team could stagger their games. Yeah, you know? and like, they should. They could all play like between 60 and 65 games and, 
you know, like just be so healthy and rested for the playoffs that I don't know, it's just going to be game over. So yeah, I think it's a, a perfect, basically risk-free move for them. All Boogie needs to do is be better than the rotating cast of miserable centers that they've had for the last couple of years. And I think it's a pretty safe bet that he's going to be able to do that. Mm. Um, you can play him without really compromising your spacing because he's shooting threes now. He's you such play, a great passer, too. You can play like... five out. He's a great passer. He can handle the ball. Um, he's definitely extremely turnover happy, and yeah, well. that often is followed, you know, by him not really hustling back on defense. And that's where the Steve Kerr volatility comes in. Sure, and that's what the Warriors love to do is turn the ball over for no reason. Yeah, they love that. So, um, I mean, I think there's there's a culture of accountability there that might be a shock to his system. Right. Well, and, he has players that can actually call him out now. Yeah. Right. And like these are teammates that he's played with on Team USA that have his respect and quite honestly way more accomplished than DeMarcus Cousins has yeah. been nobody could call him out in Sacramento like who, who's gonna say anything to him remember when they signed Grant Chuck- Napier the, Yo- the play-by-play guy like that's about it yeah. they literally signed Chuck Hayes to be like essentially his older brother in the locker room and like shut him down like no one's listening to Chuck Hayes I'm sorry <laughs> Chuck Hayes um, you know, great veteran for a long time with the Rockets and uh, well, I guess with the Raptors too. But like, seriously, that's who you had in the locker room with them. And so he can obviously develop a culture there that's a little bit different than with the Warriors. Like this is an accomplished team. And plus he's on a one-year deal. Right. He knows if he screws anything up, he's going to take a, such a huge hit for it. So, And I it's also he's, like, he's got to know if he can't make it work with the Warriors, there's yeah. no team in the league that's going to want to touch him. True. And, you know, he's already seen his market collapse and he's already had to take this one-year taxpayer's mid-level deal. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of messing around from him next season. I think he recognizes what's at stake. Yeah. And, you know, is not going to do anything to further torpedo his value. Um, I also think it's good on the Warriors' end because they kind of have... Their biggest opponent right now is boredom more than anything else. And just having this new presence uh, this new challenge of integrating boogie and winning one for boogie and everything i think that just keeps everyone a little bit more energized right um and i think it helps them like continue to resign kd in the future because there's a chance that if kd gets bored with all this remember when lebron went to miami he won those you know two championships went to the finals four times and when he went became a free agent in 2014 it was kind of like yeah but he'll stay like where else is he gonna go and then he decides to start a new chapter and basically be his own man again KD could choose to do the same thing too but I mean you know if they keep sort of I don't know if they just keep things fresh and keep giving him new challenges and bringing guys in that he likes like he really does like Boogie from their um, 2016 uh, Olympic run except for the time that they had to, they well, had to hide KD in the tunnel because Boogie was after him who, yeah I mean who hasn't wanted to do that to KD but I mean like they're generally friends right and so I, I think it's good for the Warriors as well um, I can't wait for KD to become his own man again by joining LeBron James in LA. At your oh now. my God, that would be a hell of a story. Or if KD joins the Knicks, it's it's weird. There's a lot of Knicks talk. Anyway, we're gonna take a quick break right here. We're gonna come back on the other side and we're gonna talk about the new Eastern Conference. Welcome back to the second half of Pound the Rock. As always, support the show by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. I've uh, installed iTunes on my computer, finally, and I can read these reviews. And honestly, quite, quite nice. Quite nice. There's a lot of five-star reviews up there, and um, we really appreciate that. And, you know, help it... uh, Help the podcast grow by continuing that trend. Anyway. There there was one very poor review that I'm convinced was a Colangelo Burner account after we mockingly told him to bring his family onto the uh, episode. Doesn't Colangelo still live in Toronto? He does. Yo, pull up. Pull up, Colangelo. Pull up. All right. Uh, We're going to talk about the Eastern Conference. Um, Colangelo's team, the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, the Boston Celtics, and maybe, maybe even the hard luck Toronto Raptors um, could win the Eastern Conference. Now that LeBron has gone, LeBron has obviously won the East for eight straight years, which is just so mind-boggling when you say it out loud. Eight straight years, he won the Eastern Conference. But now he's gone. He's bored of that challenge. He doesn't want to add any more L's to his finals record. Um, and there's going to be a new champion. And um, you can make an argument that any of these three teams that I just mentioned could win the East. Maybe even a team like the Bucks or like the, the Pacers or uh, who knows. I'm sure the Wizards believe in their own minds that they could win the East. But um, let's just start with the Celtics. I think they're probably the favorites um, after their really impressive playoff run. 
it seems like they're standing pat for now, but um, do you think if they stand pat and let's say the rest of the conference stands still, like, are they clearly above the rest of the pack? I think so. Like, the fact that they managed to win 55 games, go to Game 7 of the conference finals last year without their two best players healthy, um, getting those players back now, uh, I mean, I don't see how you could not make them a clear favorite. And also, I just think that the team is really well-constructed. They have all of these switchable wings who can shoot, who can handle the ball. There's just like a ton of playmaking and versatility on that roster, uh, defensive and offensive versatility. And they can play so many different diff- different types of lineups. Um, and they can play big, they can play small, they can go five out. Um, they can, uh, you know, basically match up with any different kind of team. And I think that in part is what makes them so dangerous. The other thing is just the fact that so many of their players are super young and still have room to grow. Uh, there's a lot of upside there, and you know you can expect to see a leap from Tatum next year. You can maybe expect to see another leap from Jalen Brown next year. Um, you know you have Terry Rozier as you know potentially your third point guard, depending on whether Marcus Smart is back or not. Uh, they're insanely deep, and at every position, I feel like they are pretty well set. So I don't. You know, just given what they already showed last year, I don't see how you could put any other team in that conversation. I'm going to play devil's advocate and say they're not the clear-cut favorites to me. And um, I'm going to say a couple things. We don't know. Like, everyone's assuming Gordon Hayward will be the player he was. Um, I just feel like I'd like to see it first. It was a pretty traumatic injury, um, especially But he doesn't really have to be. You know, like, if if he's not that player, if he's coming back and playing 25 minutes at, you know, you know, seventy percent of the level that he was playing at before. That's still a huge addition to their team. It is, but I I think when you're talking about like making them the like clear cut no brainer, I feel like, you know, I'd like Hayward to come back at the level he was. And then also, I'd say don't discount the how weird this Kyrie Irving situation might get. We've seen this with Kyrie before, and you know, I I understand the Celtics have a certain culture and Brad Stevens, but let's not forget what's happening in San Antonio right now. You know, like the culture in the NBA and it was still eroded by the Kawhi Leonard situation so don't discount like how weird that Kyrie situation might get even like something like what's going on with Marcus Smart right now again I understand that if they were to lose Marcus Smart that's by no means like a tragic loss for them in in their quest to win the East but still like even like those little chips at the armor right and and Marcus Smart reportedly being what what do you say disgusted or sickened and disgusted or something he's just upset that Danny Ainge hasn't called him, right. even and, though he's a restricted free agent. There are normal parts, but I'm just saying, like you can kind of slowly see things starting to erode. What everyone assumes is this like foolproof Celtics culture that's just like up and coming, and nothing can stop it. Um, you know, I, if if the Sixers and the Raptors weren't as good as they were, I could see why everyone's just automatically jumping on the Celtics bandwagon. Mm-hmm. But I think Philly's way too good, way too young, and way too talented to just dismiss them. And the Raptors, as much hate as they get, and as you know, as many memes or as uh, Stephen A. Smith likes to call them, memes are out there about the Raptors' playoff struggles. This is still a team that probably wins the East the last three years, if not for LeBron James. Mm-hmm. That's bringing back essentially the team that won 59 games with some young talent of their of their own. Like Boston's going to be good, we know that, but I don't think it's fair to say that they are head and shoulders above teams like Philly and Toronto. Yeah, I think the most uh, interesting part of this thing is just the, the Kyrie presence. Like, um, obviously they need Kyrie because he's their best offensive player, and he had a really strong year with the Celtics. Um, you know, despite the fact that he got hurt and everything like that. But like, if you're the Celtics, like you first have to decide if Kyrie is a long-term player. I think they do feel confident they could re-sign him, but I don't know if they feel confident that he's necessarily their guy going forward. Um, the Celtics, like an underrated part of what happened in the playoffs was that they were really, really good defensively. And part of that was because their worst defender and Kyrie was not on the floor. Obviously, Kyrie brings way more on the offensive end to offset that sort of drop in defense. But, you know, that that was a significant factor. Like we saw Marcus Smart, you know, befuddle LeBron James on more than a couple possessions in the, uh, the East Finals. Um, so that's a bit of a question, but it's also a question of like if Kyrie wants to go to the Knicks, and there's a lot of this noise. It's weird. I mean, when he first made this uh, trade request last summer, 
he put the Knicks on his list. And it was very strange then. And it's even stranger now that he's had such a successful year in Boston and he's been embraced by the franchise and he's having such a great time there that there's still the same news about him going to the Knicks. And so if he does want to go to the Knicks and, you know, if you think that he's kind of injury prone or whatever, like maybe, I don't know, maybe you decide to move him because you can't just let him walk for free in free agency either. So um, the Celtics are interesting to me. I think despite all that, like just based on the amount of talent they have, like they are above the rest. And also, is there breaking news? Yeah, just sorry to interrupt, but since we are talking about the East, Shams just uh, this is a this one's a crazy one. Tony Parker signs with the Hornets. Wow, what? Yeah. <laughs> a fitting final chapter for yes. a legendary career. Wait. Oh my God, Mitch Kupchak, Tony <laughs> Parker going. Uh, oh my God, going to piss off some teammates in Charlotte. Yeah, oh, wow, they finally landed their backup point guard. Hey, they've been wow. trying for so long. Is that even an upgrade over Michael Carter Williams? At this stage of his career, yeah, bring back Ramon Sessions. Um, is he not right, there? Well, In my mind, Ramon Sessions is perpetually playing for the Hornets slash Bobcats. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, look, the Celtics have just way too much talent. I think, and they have such a good coach that they will find a way to manage. So we're not all the putting the Hornets in this conversation no. after that. After that bomb, let's never talk about the Hornets on this podcast ever until they trade Kemba Walker. Um, what about the Sixers? The Sixers are. I think they're a little bit antsy to make a move, but it's just that this summer wasn't the best time to do it because they had no GM, which I think it slept on a little bit. They had no GM in a summer where they tried to go meet with LeBron, they tried to recruit Paul George, and they tried to trade for Kawhi Leonard with no GM. You might want a GM for that. And obviously, they didn't see the Colangelo thing coming, but like, it's just hard. You, you have an interim GM in Brett Brown, who's really just the head coach, but- like coming in and just saying like, hey... You know, stay with us, you know? Like, because if I'm LeBron, I'm like, I don't even know if you're going to stay with them. Like, well, let's be real. Like, do we think that them having a GM would have made a difference as far as recruiting LeBron or getting Paul George to sign there or making a trade for Kawhi? Like, from what I can gather, like, all this stuff was kind of based on external factors and not anything that was really within their control anyway. I don't think LeBron was ever really seriously considering signing in Philly. I feel like he had his heart set on LA from the start. The Spurs are asking for, you know, a ridiculous haul for Kawhi. So I don't know that that would have made any kind of difference. And Paul George didn't even take any meetings with anybody else. So I, I don't see it as being um, like any kind of big uh, deterrent there. Like the fact that they didn't have a GM in place. And I actually thought that they absorbing Wilson Chandler's contract and getting a little bit of draft pick compensation was a pretty nice piece of business because yeah. Wilson Chandler's a rotation player yeah. who I think is going to help them out. Like, he can play two ways a little bit. He's a decent defender who can stretch the floor. Two Robert Covingtons. Congratulations. But, I mean, like, come on, man. They were really going for these. Look, I agree with you. Like, I don't think that they had, like, a GM that, that necessarily guarantees any of those stars signed. But that's like going into a job interview wearing, like, shorts and a T-shirt and not having a resume with you and just being like, yeah, you know, I could come here. I have Excel skills for sure. Like, no, no, you don't. Come on. You just don't give out that impression. And, like, look, when they met with LeBron, LeBron just sent Rich Paul. Like, LeBron didn't even go to that meeting. And, like, the Sixers brought their owner for that. Like, that's weird. But the thing is, like, do you, do you think that would have been any different if – it was Brian Colangelo in that room instead of Brett Brown. And that's Come not on. even, that's not Brian Colangelo slander because I don't want a second negative review, all right, on this podcast. <laughs> but World Cup I, season has hit the score, baby. Yeah, in case you wonder about the yelling in the background. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm agreeing with Wolf on at this point. I don't think, I don't think, you know, if LeBron Colangelo really- or a more traditional executive there instead of Brett Brown is going to inch LeBron away from L.A. I don't think it's going to ruin Russ and PG's relationship, which is why he re-signed there. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's going to make the Spurs give up, want less for Kawhi. Right. So, and then you look at, you know, outside of that, like Joe mentioned, they, it's a good piece of business, what they, you know, the, the move to get Wilson Chandler, which does move the needle at least a little bit. And when you're talking about three teams in Boston, Philly, and Toronto that are, to me, as close as they are, you know, I, I think this is like, even... Uh, Jacob Goldstein, who's been doing a great job of like uh, throwing up win projections for next season on his Twitter account, you look at his projections for the East, Philly, Toronto, Boston, I think separated by like one win. Yeah. So when the the margin between teams is that small, like someone like Wilson Chandler could be the difference, right? So right. I think I think when you look at what they've done this summer, you know, what could a Colangelo or insert executive name have done that Brett Brown didn't do? Nothing to me. Yeah, and I mean, if you look around the league at teams that are 
using their cap space to sign one-year deals. Mm-hmm. The Sixers basically did that. They get Wilson yeah. Chandler for one year, but they also get a second-round pick and a pick swap out of it, which is not nothing. That's and a hinky move, by the way. That's a peak hinky move. Yeah, that's right. You know, it shows that uh, that he really left a mark there. They're Just still hard sort of following hinky back, the blueprint. Um, but it is kind of curious that they haven't. There hasn't been any noise about them hiring a GM yet. We all kind yeah. of assumed that David Griffin was going to be at the top of that list. In part because of his relationship with LeBron, uh, but also just because he he has a proven track record as a very solid GM. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens with them next summer because they have this sort of limited window where they have all this cheap production from these young players on rookie scale deals uh, in Ben Simmons and Dario Saric and, you know, I guess Markel Fultz. Uh, and also have all this cap space where they can bring in like a superstar veteran. Right. And ultimately that's going to disappear, right? Because they are going to have to extend Ben Simmons and they're probably going to extend Dario Saric. And that opportunity is not necessarily going to be there in a couple of years. So the fact that they are, you know, rolling over their cap space, like half of the league seems to be doing to 2019 is really going to put a lot of pressure on them next summer to bring in that guy that they didn't land in 2018. Yeah, and that's why I think the Sixers are going to have a lot of pressure, actually, in the upcoming year. I think everyone's just expecting more development, but Embiid's health is still a question mark. Uh, Markel Fultz's jump shot is, like, one of the biggest questions in the entire NBA, right? He's starting to work with Drew Hanlon um, as, uh, you know, just as his trainer in the offseason, and, you know, he's come out and said, like, his jump shot was basically broken and he had the yips. And then you see these training videos come out, and they're all of Markel Fultz dunking. There's not even a single video of him shooting the ball. So that's a huge question mark, right? Because if he can actually establish himself as like a number one pick, because he's obviously got the athleticism and the playmaking to actually, you know, be a slashing type of, you know, shooting guard while also being able to shoot threes. Like, okay, that's what he is on paper. But it, right now he's just a guy with no confidence whatsoever. And you can't even trade him basically because his value is completely up in the air. Um, and honestly, like if you look at the rest of that Sixers team, like, Man, a lot of that run last year when they won 52 games and, and won uh, you know the first-round series against Miami was that they had tremendous contributions from Marco Bellinelli and Ursan Ilyasova. And I think that's kind of – I know it sounds crazy to talk about those two as like big like losses for this team, but those guys really played a huge part in how this Sixers team ran. It allowed um, them to play this motion offense where they had all these shooters that were mobile and could stretch the floor at all times. And – Quite honestly, without them, I'm not sure it works as well. Because if you look at the rest of that Sixers team, they were good in the regular season for sure. But really, they had like a crazy 16-game win streak to end the year that really inflated their win total. Without that, and that mostly came against soft competition in March in a year where everyone was tanking. Like, you know, who knows? So I think the Sixers really need to establish love again, have pretty much the same year. um, Show some improvement. And I think then 2019, they can really land a free agent. But... Um, in the meantime, like, I, I don't know. They kind of had no choice but to roll it back because everyone turned them down. And I don't know if they're necessarily guaranteed to be one of the favorites in the league again. Um, the other team that I mentioned earlier, the Toronto Raptors, they have the most immediate need because unlike the Celtics and unlike the Sixers, they don't have blue-chip prospects. They don't have a Ben Simmons. They don't have a Jason Tatum to build around. Um, and to to wait basically um, for them to grow, right? They have Kyle Lowry and Demar Derozan, who have like a combined twenty plus years of experience between them, and they're pretty much in a two year window to compete, right? Like they they re-signed these guys, like they wanted to go for it. They obviously couldn't beat LeBron, but now LeBron's gone, and you know if you're the Raptors, why not make a win now trade? Yeah, but again, I think it depends. Like, you talk about that two-year window, but I think it also depends if... It depends on what that win-now trade is. You know, like the last podcast, we talked about the potential Kevin Love. You know, could they put a package together? And I think it's important to remember, like, is the guy you're acquiring... Does he move the needle enough in this tight race with Boston and Philly that puts you far enough ahead of those teams that it's worth punting on the first couple of years post-two-year window? And what I mean by that is if you're giving up, like, an OG Ananobi... Pascal Siakam, DeLon Wright or Fred VanVleet, who just resigned. Like, you start chipping away at that core of young talent. Now you're punting on that that first window after this two-year window of contention. And to me, if you're going to do that, it's gotta be for like the type of move that clearly puts you ahead of those two teams. Because right now, I think as presently constructed, 
constructed, the Raptors are good enough to compete with those two teams for the 82-game regular season slog and then in the playoffs. So I just don't think they should be making some desperate win-now move feeling pressure to, you know, to catch up to Boston and Philly when I don't think they need to. I think they're right there with them. I also just don't uh, see a, a logical win-now move out there for them to make. Okay, what about Kevin Love? I, Kevin I don't Love, think that moves the needle enough. I also just think a Kevin Love and Jonas Valanciunas front court is going to be so exposed defensively that I don't even know if the, the offensive juice that that adds is really worth it. Okay. Um, what if JV's moved in that trade? Who knows? I mean, then, Maybe he then, plays with Serge Ibaka. Uh, <laughs> Raptors fans I, must be thrilled to yeah, see more man. Serge Ibaka. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how much how much better that looks. Frankly, like yeah. I mean, maybe if Kevin Love's playing center and, and Siakam's playing the four, then that's a little bit more viable defensively. Sure. There are there's like a lot of different interesting mixing and matching they could do. I think with Love on the yeah. roster, it's not a, a home run to me. And again, like I think the benefit the Raptors do have is they have a lot of. You were saying they don't have blue chip prospects, but what they do have is. A lot of I don't know what's what comes after blue chip prospects. Well, like, what's the opposite <laughs> end? White chip. So it's like a mix of blue and white, mm. like a powder, baby, a powder baby blue. blue. Yeah, they have yeah. some baby blue prospects, um, and they have a lot of them. You know, they have Delon Wright, Jakob Pertl, Fred Van Vliet, um, Ogia Ananobi. I think is probably as close to untouchable uh, a player as they have on that roster. Him and Siakam both, I think, are just probably, hit a three in summer league. By the way, OG price well, going up. Um, <laughs> OG and Siakam, I think, are, are close to untouchable. Okay. Um, but between uh, Fred, DeLon, Jakob Pertl, um, and uh, I don't know. Who am I forgetting? But uh, And Norman Powell, I guess, is the guy that I'm, that I'm uh. leading out there who you know, is now going to be on this $10 million a year extension that is not really going to be movable, I don't think so. They, they do have a sort of a, a pool of prospects to deal from where they're not necessarily compromising too much of their future, yeah. uh, but where that might be enough to entice a team to move off a piece like a Kevin Love. Um, but outside of Kevin Love, I mean, I'm like racking my brain and I can't see like a, a piece that necessarily fits the Raptors roster and that makes, you know, vaults them into the top spot for contention in the Eastern Conference. Yeah. And I think too, I think Masai is just smart enough to know like, Okay, you make a move, even if, you know, Kevin Love is the name we keep talking about. If you make a move like that, that maybe inches you, like, uh, past the Celtics or Sixers, and even that's debatable, you're still not good enough to win a title. We know that. No. They're not beating the Warriors in the best of seven. They're not no. even coming close. And again, I just think Masai's always been so prudent, and I don't see that just abandoning him now. So yeah. I, I don't see him, like, dismantling this young core, this impressive young core that he's been able to build despite drafting in you know the late teens and 20s the last half decade i don't see him dismantling that just to like raise his chances of winning the east and losing in the finals by one percent okay but i mean look if you're also i agree with you like Masai has shown to be quite patient you know his favorite word evaluating um but i mean man it's been five years of this uh i think raptors fans especially after this year after winning 59 games, after getting humbled and swept the same way as before, they're kind of ready to move. Like, I think all the reports have said that the Raptors are kind of good to do whatever, right? If a good deal comes along, they're going to move on their stars. And so if that's the case, and if you're really looking at this two-year window, why not like try to actually win the, the, the actual East? Because look, we all agree that the East is going to be better like next year right like this is the year where the east is a little bit more open the celtics are a little bit in, in in paralysis the sixers haven't been able to get anything else done they're still young the raptors should really try to pounce and look for a team like the raptors it's not insignificant to go to the finals like it would really make for a nice crowning achievement for them to be beaten by 150 points in the finals to the warriors <laughs> by five all-stars but i mean like seriously like what else is this team doing, right? And so, like, unless you see these prospects as, like, man, this is going to be a starter for us. I'm not saying just throw them away for nothing, but unless you see these guys as huge long-term foundational pieces, why not try to make a run? Because, look, whatever team they build going forward, the ceiling is probably the finals. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they're not building, like, a super championship contender here. They If they can get this free trip to the finals, I think it would really – be worth it to the Raptors, and I, I agree with you, Wolfon. Like, I'm not really sure um, who that over-the-top piece is. Obviously, people are dreaming about Kawhi. I don't think the Raptors have enough pieces to get it done for Kawhi, um, but 
I, I don't know. I think the Raptors should try to make a move because I think they were sort of stuck between do we rebuild, what do we do, what's our purpose in life as this team that exists in Toronto. But then LeBron left it and kind of decided it for them. Like, hey, look, all of a sudden the conference is open. Like, they need a little bit more to beat the Sixers. They probably need – They actually, I don't even know if they need a little bit more to beat the Sixers. But they definitely need a little bit more to beat the Celtics because the Celtics present five shooters that they could put on the floor at all times. And the Raptors just struggle to guard that with their two-center starting lineup, basically. And if they can sort of resolve that, if they can flip Serge Ibaka, if they, they can flip Jonas Valanciunas into a more two-way piece for them, like, you know, it could really help. Um, and quite honestly, I think it would give Raptors fans a reason to watch again next year because otherwise it's kind of just more the same where everyone knows the ceiling. And even though the wins are still going to be the same, like – People are going to look at it differently. I think, I think if there was any concern about fan apathy, I really think LeBron's move west helped ease some of that. Yeah. And it, and again, I just I don't know how much I buy that. I think it's very easy to say that in the summer that yeah. fans won't buy in the same way. Yeah. And then I think if it's December and this team's twenty and five, fans will be bought in. And with LeBron out of the East, it'll just be. I don't think it's a hard sell to Raptors fans. I really don't, especially with LeBron out of the East. True. The thing is, there just aren't those teams right now that are that have proven veterans on their rosters that they're looking to move. You know, teams like outside yeah. of the you know the Cavs with Kevin Love. Find me another team that is basically looking to rebuild and and move off of pieces that are going to change the Raptors' fortunes. It's like the Grizzlies just, could eventually move. Like Marcus All, like how yeah. much is that moving the needle for the Raptors? Even, how much better is he than JV at this point? Like the one team that fits what you were talking about is like Charlotte with Kemba, but obviously the Raptors don't have a need for Kemba. So right. Yeah, it's just it you is know, hard what, to what you have team. are like these teams like Atlanta who are looking to move off Kent Bazemore. So yeah, okay, good luck with that. But uh, you know, to to make a move just for the sake of making it to assuage fan apathy, I think would be the wrong approach. And what they're sitting on right now is a team that won fifty nine games last year that was start to finish the best team in the Eastern Conference, had a miserable playoff showing, and that is not meaningless. It's happened a lot over the last few years, and there are definitely concerns about moving forward with basically the same roster. Mm -hmm. But I think it would be a mistake to just dramatically change course because you think it's what the fans want, and you sense that like there might be some staleness there. Like I think they made a necessary move bringing in a new coach, and I think... You know, the fair thing to do would be to give Nick Nurse a shot to see what he can do with this roster that has already proven itself capable of being a regular season juggernaut. And, you know, all you need to really see at this point is, is whether you can translate that to the playoffs. So, Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I still think they should try to make all the move, man. Like, I don't mean, like, trade all the prospects for Kawhi. That'd be crazy, but... Like it's it's not like the Raptors are gonna miss that much if they lost Lon Wright. He's a nice player for sure. Oh, no, I agree. But I think I think if they're trading for Kawhi, that OG has to be in that deal. Yeah. And then if Kawhi walks after a year, that could really really sting. All right, last thing we're gonna talk about the Washington Wizards. Can, can they? Let me let me take a swig of water before I go on this <laughs> eight minute rant. Can they even make the play? No, I'm kidding. Come on, they should make the playoffs. Uh, John Wall's healthy for the whole year, which it may or may not be a good thing. <laughs> Um, they've added Austin Rivers. Uh, they have added Dwight Howard to be their center. Um, I don't know. What do you guys think of the Wizards? <sighs> Under they're they're, they're going to sure. be really entertaining is what I think. They're going to be the most dysfunctional ninth seed ever. I'm here for it. Uh, as opposed to being the most dysfunctional eighth seed ever? Like, what? The Wizards, I, I just ran out of words and sighs and, like, high-pitched rants to spew about the Washington Wizards. you got to respect them leaning into the dysfunction, at least. You oh, know? It's just, a clown Just acknowledging that this is who they are and like they're going to go all out. And Ernie's Austin here forever. Er Ernie Grunfeld, by landing Dwight Howard, probably got like an 11-year extension from Ted Leonsis. Like Ted yeah. Leonsis oh. probably sees that they have a shot to land Dwight Howard and doesn't realize who Dwight Howard is in 2018 and, and is just loving this these Ernie Grunfeld moves, but like the Wizards are not going to be, look. What if they add Mello? This, the Wizards come into every <laughs> single year as this like quote unquote dark horse to win uh -huh. the East. And if anything, those rumblings are probably even louder this year because they added Dwight and because LeBron left. And guess what? They're going to be a mid forties win team, <laughs> maybe high forties if they're lucky, if things break their way, they're not going to win 50 games. They'll be lucky if they win a playoff round. Yeah. Somehow, Ernie Grunfeld will get extended next summer. Like, 
we know what the Wizards are with this core, and, and it's just not good enough. And bringing a locker room cancer into – look, and that's yeah. not, you know, um, like speculation at this point. No, no, no. Literally every single yeah. team he goes to within, what, a week of moving on from him, the reports come out that – Players hated him. And I feel like every stop he goes, it's like the amount of players in that locker room who hated him grows. It was like, oh, he's in Orlando, and, you know, he doesn't get along with Stan Van and a couple other guys. Mm. And then in L.A., well, it's Kobe's hard to get along with. Yeah. And then in, uh, what am I missing, Houston, it's like, well, him and James Harden and Dan Tony kind of clash. And then he gets to Charlotte, and it's like the entire locker room hated him. All of Atlanta hated him, too. Yeah. He's been a lot of places. Yeah, oh, my God, yeah. And the Atlanta, like... Man, I, the Guangzhou, the just, Guangzhou is gonna hate him next year, baby. The Flying Tigers are gonna hate him. Like, Jeez. at uh, what point do you just, yeah, you know, Scott Brooks might quit before he gets fired. Oh my God, poor Scott Brooks, man. Yeah, um, but yeah, he, I mean, Dwight's really left a trail of destruction in his wake, as far as just like coaches and GMs that have kind of been fired from, you well, know, either either while he's been on the team or immediately afterwards. He's met his match because Ernie's not going anywhere. Oh man, yeah. I guess we'll see. Um, but I think it'll at least be really entertaining to watch uh, all those pieces try to fit together and all those those egos try to, try to make it work in Washington. Um, and they added Austin Rivers. Yeah, Which, man. by the way, underrated part of Austin Rivers, John Wall wears two, Bradley Beal wears three, Austin Rivers wears one. <laughs> there you go. I mean... Look, he it's not a, like Wall a... and Gortat were getting along last season anyway, so... That's true, that's true. Um... Yeah, man, I think it'll be fun. Well, the Eastern Conference is going to be interesting. Um, the World Cup seems to be incredibly interesting. We've got to end this podcast now to watch the final couple minutes here. But uh, thank you to Wolfon. Thank you to Cash. Uh, thank you to all of you guys for listening. Please support the show, rating, reviewing, subscribing. And we'll be back next week. Thank you.